Welcome to Millennial 712. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Did you two have a nice weekend? Yeah, very restful. I didn't do shit. Oh, lovely. I also did not do shit. Well, yeah, I too did not do much shit. And I was having a nice weekend until Saturday night, Saturday night, when San Diego Comic-Con announced that they were going to have a special convention, which is good news. The bad news is that they've decided to do this over Thanksgiving weekend. Thanksgiving is a Thursday. The convention is going to be that Friday to Sunday, which means all the people working in the service industry, the hospitality industry, and the food industries in the local San Diego area won't be able to spend their first Thanksgiving since COVID with their families. They they instead will have to be in the gas lamp district working for all the nerds who are in town for Comic-Con. And I find it so infuriating that Comic-Con would decide this year that they're going to do a convention Thanksgiving weekend taking people away from their families. I don't care about the people who are attending. And I think they probably picked these dates because they knew it would be a hard choice for people. You know, do I see my family over Thanksgiving or do I go to Comic-Con? So less people will go to this Comic-Con. So maybe that's their way of making it smaller. But how about the people who have to work the events? They can't just show up the day after Thanksgiving. That's a week-long event. Right, Pam? Yeah, yeah but sucks. also not to mention the the travel accommodations because San Francisco has uh, San Francisco. San Diego has a nice airport, but it's kind of small. And like so much traffic comes in when people are traveling to Comic-Con. Same with the the train that goes between Los Angeles and San Diego. It's a lot. What infuriates me is that the people who selected the state They're not going to have to work Thanksgiving. They're not going to have to work Thanksgiving weekend. A lot of people have been criticizing this decision, so maybe they will change their mind. I feel like there's just enough backlash where that might happen, but who knows? Um, The reason I bring this up is because San Diego Comic-Con is the biggest pop culture convention in the world, and they could have picked any weekend they wanted, and it would have happened because the San Diego Convention Center would make room whichever weekend they wanted to do it. I don't know if they've announced anything for for New York City Comic Con, but I know that's usually in the fall. And I'm sort of kind of wondering if they felt like they needed to put a little bit a little bit of distance between those two events in order to make everything work. Um, Assuming that they are planning to do anything for NYCC, that does not excuse the date that they picked. Right. But I do kind of wonder if it was kind of a bit of a strategic move either way. They still could have shifted it one week. Yeah. How about just don't have the convention this year this is a smaller special edition i'm thinking of all the hollywood people too like all the pr people everybody works their ass off for this event and you won't be able to take thanksgiving off because it's comic-con eve (laughs) anyway anything bothering you pam yeah so i have some neighbor drama um i have a neighbor that lives in the house behind mine and They have a very aggressive dog. I don't know if you guys have ever had to deal with neighbors with aggressive dogs, but it's just getting completely out of hand. The other day, the dog, because Jasper is not a barker, and so he will not engage unless the dog engages with him. And the other day, the dog was trying to bait him, and he started, like, I I don't know if it was, like, headbutting or just pushing his paws against the fence towards the back of 
the backyard. And so Jasper started barking and then the dog started getting more and more aggravated. And he pushed so hard that he knocked down a board no. from the fence. Oh, damn. I wasn't back there when it happened, but I was in the living room. So I turned back and I saw and then I ran out there and I grabbed my dog, put him inside and then had to figure out how to like put the fence back together while this dog was trying to come through our backyard. And then I just like gave up and just went back inside and I had to wait for the dog to like you know, go away before I could go back and reinforce the fence because it's kind of like dangerous. You know, like I don't know if this dog is aggressive towards humans or not. I was going to ask. But I tried I was trying to talk to the neighbor about this and the neighbor tried to pin it on my dog and I was just like, well, can you just like keep your dog inside so I can at least like reinforce the fence because this is getting out of hand and if you're not going to do anything about it, then I need to figure out how to make sure my dog is safe. Yeah. It's like, what do you you do in this situation? I don't want to call like the Humane Society or whatever on these people's dog but it's not that bad no but But it's just like it's like to the point where i can't even sit outside because as soon as the dog realizes somebody's in the backyard it just starts barking it's like i would like this space which we own (laughs) to be a space that i could use Right. right well and it would be one thing if the dog was reactive for a short period of time like say you walk out in the backyard with jasper the dog goes nuts in the neighboring yard for like a minute or two, and then ultimately chills out. I think that that can be kind of normal behavior. But the fact that the dog is exhibiting like violence, potentially Mm -hmm. by trying to get through the fence that way, that's really disturbing. And I I don't blame you for being really uncomfortable with that. Yeah. And I don't know what the solution is. Is it a new dog? No. So this dog has like always been there. And we did. Okay. To be fair, we did get some newer neighbors not long ago and they have a big dog and that dog barks more than Jasper ever has in his life. And so I'm kind of wondering if they're like feeding off of their energy. Mm. But the problem is, is that they don't share a fence and we do. Also, the other day, this is like such a side note, but the other day I was trying to put up like a barrier um, so that, you know, like hopefully if like the dog doesn't see my dog through the small cracks, I, you know, I could eliminate the aggression that way. And I accidentally caught this guy's wife sunbathing in the nude. And that was really <gasps> awkward. You know? So then I felt like a peeping dog. So now dog, hang on. Even though it was <laughs> not your intention. The neighbor's wife knows that this is a shared fence and knows that this has been happening and that somebody might be there trying to fix the fence and decides to sunbathe in the nude while that's going on. I don't know. These guys are weird. Um, <laughs> Got to work on that spring tan, baby. No tan lines. Yeah, I was just like, wow, I just saw so much more of you than I wanted to. And I still have to knock on your door later and let you know that, like, we're going to take down a few boards so we can put up stronger ones. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm lucky that I don't have any um, crazy dogs directly next to my place. But there's a dog down the street that we kind of pass every day. And that dog keeps trying to hop the fence every time I walk past with Brooklyn. I wish the fence was covered so the dog wouldn't react. He starts barking and starts trying to jump over the fence. And my paranoid ass is convinced that one day this dog is going to get over the fence. And I keep thinking in my head, what am I going to do when that day comes? And I'm ready to kick that dog because I know he wants to fight Brooklyn. And of course, 
I'm not going to let that happen. So I've been sitting here thinking about how I can, you know, kick the dog to, to, to without like hurting Brooklyn or something. It's been a whole thing for me. It's been stressing me out. And no, I don't <laughs> want to talk to the neighbor about it. I figure they feel pretty, pretty confident their dog is not going to jump the fence. But I just see it try again and again and again. And I'm like, one day, <laughs> well, one day. This is just so funny because I've never thought about how I'm going to see how I'm going to save Jasper if the dog comes. <laughs> you were like, damn, what about my fence? You know what, though? <laughs> I'm such a bad dog. No, mom. you're no. not. You might be surprised, no. though, Andrew. There was one time when Canella was an itty-bitty little puppy. Um, we were walking uh, through a neighborhood where we lived at the time, and one of my neighbors had a pit bull off-leash. And Canella was all of three pounds. At that time, she was itty-bitty. And the pit bull saw her and came running over. And I was like, oh, shit. And so I'm trying to pick her up. But she's panicking yeah. and freaking out and running around my legs. So I can't catch her. And the pit bull gets over there. And he just walks up to her, sniffs her, and then, like, boops her little nose with his nose. And it was so cute. But it could have been very bad. Aww, <laughs> so I yeah. understand the the fear. But it could be that the dog seems more intimidating because it has a fence between you. You know, yeah, and he just really wants to meet Brooklyn, maybe. But I, I don't. The vibe I get is it's there's some animosity because Brooklyn, you know, it starts riling up Brooklyn too. So I feel like there'd be a big fight. I feel like it would take a lot to rile up Brooklyn because he's such a chill dog. You know, all right, Brooklyn's chill, and even he, chill Brooklyn, thinks this dog <laughs> is a dick. So that tells you all you need to know. Well, best of luck, Pam. Keep us posted. <laughs> I, I will keep you posted because it's happening soon. We're <laughs> we're gonna fix that then. So we'll see. Show up nude. You, you two can bond. <laughs> I would prefer your... not to. Like my face already burns enough. <laughs> so... Be like, hey, you want to <laughs> sunbathe can, nude together? We can tandem we can go to Baker nude beach. sunbathe. Yeah. <laughs> So I wanted to uh, check in with y'all and see if anybody has started making post like purchases with post pandemic in mind. Um, I asked this because my wardrobe over the course of the last year has really been whittled down to uh, pajama bottoms, leggings and t-shirts. And it's becoming very clear to me that if I have somewhere nice to go or somewhere that I would like to look a little less like a college student. Um, I don't have very many clothes for that at this time. So I'm like slowly purchasing some items. I bought myself a pair of Rothy's the other day. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag we love you, Rothy's. Hashtag here's our promo code. Yeah, yeah exactly. M-I-L-L. Rothy's.com slash M-I-L-L. <laughs> um, but I have to stop myself because I was like, okay, this... I can't be doing all of this at once, you know? So I didn't know if anybody else found themselves evaluating like wardrobes or what have you and realizing that they need to update some things before we come out of our cocoons. Yeah, I think it's also something that we deserve some fresh clothes yeah. to just, you know, new year, <laughs> new post-pandemic life, new us, you know? I think we've we've earned that and feeling good and fresh out and about. So... Yeah, haven't done it yet, but I might. Yeah, I've been um like this whole past year, I'll just window shop but online and look at all the cute dresses and just think, well, like there's no need to buy those because nobody's really leaving the house and I have nowhere to wear them. And then the other day I was doing 
the same thing. And then I realized that I could justify buying them now because we will soon be able to leave the house. So I too have purchased a few things, but I don't think I made the connection that it is perhaps a trend that a lot of people are are kind of doing right now. But it was really nice. I'm really excited to get some new stuff because I'm kind of sick of what I have in my closet anyway. So maybe it's time for me to sign up for Stitch Fix again. I was on that for a few months and I really liked it. And then I stopped because I was like, this is too much new clothing. And then Pam was like, it's fast fashion. Is is that the term? So it's all like cheaply made. So that kind of turned me off from it from it too. But I did get some nice stuff that I still wear from there. Yeah, I've only heard I've only ever heard good things about Stitch Fix. Yeah. Yeah. They have a mix like cuz you can set the um your specifications for like the cheapest items or Right, your budget. Yeah. 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 Okay, I'll sign back up. <laughs> we also received one piece of listener feedback I wanted to air as well. Jenny said, "Just a note regarding volunteer search and rescue. They are professionals. My husband is a paramedic and firefighter and he volunteers his time to go in searches. All of his colleagues are also experienced rangers, eagle scouts, logistics people, retired EMS. Just want to make you aware." Thank you. Last week we were talking about like, do we want volunteers to come and rescue us in Zion? (laughs) Volunteers. They're not so good. But as Jenny points out, these people are all very experienced. And I apologize for implying that maybe they're not talented people. So before we continue with today's episode, we have a word from our first sponsor this week, Talkspace. Trying to balance work, home, relationships, and everything else is challenging for everyone. On top of our everyday obligations, we have to deal with underlying fear and uncertainty from the pandemic, with many of our normal support systems no longer in place. Working with a therapist can give you that support you're missing right now. Having someone to talk through your worries and help prioritize what's really important can work wonders. Because now more than ever, it's a good idea to seek out a little extra help for our busy, demanding lives. This is why I want you to try Talkspace. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform that has thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more. Your therapist can help you set and achieve your goals. Having someone to talk to to truly listen to you and give you advice makes all the difference. Your therapist will be focused on you and doing what they can to help you thrive. And Talkspace is a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. Instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist 24-7 and they'll engage with you daily, five days a week. You can send messages to them from wherever you are, making it very convenient all the time. If you are in the car, if you are on your couch, wherever you may be, you can reach out to your therapist. And that is so comforting. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code MILL to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's M-I-L-L and Talkspace.com. Time to talk pop culture now. So I wanted to talk about a couple updates on the Disney front. Disney announced Cruella and Black Widow will hit Disney Plus day and date with their theatrical releases on May 28th and July 9th, respectively. These will be premiere access films, meaning you'll have to pay $30 each on top of your monthly Disney Plus subscription. They also announced that Pixar's new original film, Luca, which looks very cute, will be skipping theaters entirely and will be available on Disney Plus for free 
on June 18th. So two films you got to pay for, one film that's coming for free. With Luca not being released in theaters and not getting any kind of premium access fee associated with it, is this a vote of non-confidence on Disney's part? I feel like the thing is, so Black Widow and Cruella and uh, Mulan, those were all brand names, reboots, spinoffs, you know, established brands. Whereas Pixar, while that's established, Luca is an original story, which is, by the way, what we want Pixar to do more of. So I feel like $30 for Luca would be a harder sell just because it's an original story. And Soul, also by Pixar, was another film that they released for free on Disney Plus on Christmas. What do you think, Pam? Was Brian the Last Dragon, is that just Disney? It is just Disney. It's Disney, and that had that did a, have a $30 price tag, and yeah, that wasn't okay. original. So that knocks my theory a bit. It doesn't because you're saying that it's Pixar movies, I guess, basically, that are free because Soul yeah. is is Pixar, and that was free. Um, Onward was also Disney Pixar, and that was free. And then we have now Luca, which is Disney Pixar, and that is free. With the subscription, obviously. I'm actually kind of surprised that they're doing this because I feel like at this point, the Pixar name alone is brand recognition. So people already are expecting good things and Pixar hardly ever misses the mark. Right. So I feel like they could charge and probably make some money off of charging because even like even when you think about what parents are looking at when they're trying to pick something for their kids to 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 watch i feel like it's a pretty safe bet to go with a pixar movie i wonder if 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 it maybe just is that they're trying to throw parents a bone and then hoping that in giving them something that they can watch with their kids for free they'll be more inclined to you know rent black widow after the kids go to sleep yeah yeah i have to say though why would a parent buy a new movie on Disney Plus when there's so much available for a kid to watch for free on Disney Plus? I was thinking about this recently. Yeah. If you're a little kid, you don't know what's new and what's not. Maybe if you're older, okay. But like, I don't feel like parents would want to, would have any reason to pay for a new film unless they're Disney fans themselves. Yeah, that's true. It's just <sighs> The thought of a film skipping theaters entirely and not getting any kind of premium access charge, it's like, I don't know, it kind of feels like they're saying that the cost of promoting the film wouldn't rake in the kinds of margins they would need to make up for it. I don't know. That's what it feels like to me. I think the other thing is, too, is like, look, I don't watch a lot of television live anymore, so I don't know how the commercial scene is for children's programming these days. But I feel like Disney does a lot of hyping up excitement for its new films geared towards children at the movie theater. So like the more a a family takes their kids to the movies, the more that they're exposed to these trailers for these movies that are coming down the pipeline. And the more that they get excited for them through the trailers, the more they're like, Mom, Dad, I want to see this movie. I want to see this movie. I want to see this movie. Yeah, that's true. Maybe it is just that like, because I really, I didn't know that Luca was a movie that was happening until the teaser came out and they announced the cast. So I don't know if they're actually doing any Mm -hmm. promo for these at all leading up to. To your point, Laura, about what it says about the movie 
a reporter at the Hollywood Reporter tweeted, just talked to a Pixar friend who says Luca and Soul moves to Disney Plus have been demoralizing for employees. Forget theaters, we're not even good enough for an upcharge. Yeah. And I get that. I get why somebody would feel this way. You are making a movie that is going to go in theaters across the world. That is an honor. That is a privilege. That's incredibly exciting. That must motivate you. And then to find out people, most people are just going to watch it on a 10-inch iPad, that ruins it for you. You're making a Saturday morning cartoon. The thing is, too, is like, and not to discredit anything that is live action, but a lot of these Pixar movies are like years and years and years in the making. And a lot of these people that are that that work on these movies have been working on them for probably way longer than they're on our radar. You know, even if you're like the biggest Disney fan of the world and you're always up to date on like all of the rumors and like the the news and stuff like that, they have their slate set and like an Onward or a Monsters, Inc., you know, seven years in the making is not uncommon for movies like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. It takes up a big chunk of their lives. Back to premiere access for a second. So Black Widow was originally slated to hit theaters May 1st, 2020. They kept delaying the movie. They really wanted to put it into theaters. Um It seems like they didn't have a choice at this point. They had to release Black Widow. They couldn't wait any longer because these Marvel movies exist within a timeline. They have to get certain information out at certain points so they can release other content that reacts to what happened in this case in Black Widow. So I wonder if that was what was going on with Black Widow. But on Premiere Access, this extra $30 on top of your existing Disney Plus subscription, my concern with this, and that they've done this multiple times now, is they are conditioning us to get used to this idea that we pay for a monthly subscription and then we pay extra fees to watch additional content. Yep. If we get used to this on Disney Plus, who's to say Netflix won't start charging us extra for early access to, say, Stranger Things Season 4? Or another big title in the next season of Queer Eye. They will do this because they know they can get away with it. And I'm worried this is going to become the norm. See, what you have to do then, Andrew, is you have to turn your living room into a community theater. So you pay pay the as upcharge fees and invite your neighbors over, all of them, ask them for one or two dollars each. Make some good money. Yeah. You can definitely remake your investment. I'm going to charge my neighbor with a man bun double because I really don't like that guy. <laughs> yeah. So, and I know like OnlyFans, they allow creators to do this. A creator can charge a monthly fee and then they can charge extra for certain content. It's not early access. It's just you want this content, you have to pay extra. Patreon does not offer this right now. I would not be surprised if they do at some point. This just seems like such an easy way to make more money. And I pledge here and now, Millennial Podcast will never... Ch- well, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe we will. Well, we wouldn't, we wouldn't take something that was already an existing benefit of a membership you pay monthly for and be like, here, pay more for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, we're not, we're not going to do that. This is all just very interesting, though, because if we had never been in a pandemic year... This is not even a feature that Disney Plus would have thought to offer because they would still be in the pockets of of movie theater chains all over the world. We've all gotten used to paying monthly for all kinds of subscriptions, Mm -hmm. and that's fine. That makes sense. And this is the next step. Extra fees on top of your existing subscription. So the big question is, will we pay $30 to watch Black Widow? I would like to think that I wouldn't, but a lot of it's going to depend on how comfortable I feel going to a movie theater 
in July. You know, if mm-hmm. if things have reached a point where it doesn't feel like an unreasonable thing to do, then I'll just, I'll see it in theaters. But I'm a pretty big Marvel fan, so I don't want to be spoiled. Right. So I guess that would be worth $30 to me. I probably will because I'll split it with my brother because we split the costs of the there you go. of the um, streaming services anyway. So then it's the equivalent of going to like an AMC, except with the luxury of being able to stay on my couch in right. my pajamas. Right. I'm uh, a, <laughs> just, you know, adding more fuel to the fire when it comes to this problem. But convenience, you know. If we're fully vaccinated, it seems, and what I personally will be, if most people are fully vaccinated by that time, and that seems to be where things are going in America, I see no reason why movie theaters won't be back to normal by July. Right. I kind of, I'm so used to living in this pandemic world, I wasn't even thinking about going into theaters. I'm just like assuming I'm going to pay for it on Disney+. Plus. I miss going to the movie theaters. I just like the option just knowing that if I don't want to go for Black Widow, then I can watch it at home. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of nice. In related news, the price of a monthly Disney Plus subscription just went up to $7.99 per month. So hopefully many of our listeners locked in those annual deals. And in some other related news, Warner Brothers has struck a new deal with movie theaters. Starting in 2022, new movies will have a 45-day exclusivity window at theaters before moving to HBO Max. So that means in the case of Fantastic Beasts 3, it's going to hit theaters so they say right now, July 15th, 2022, that means you'll be able to watch it on HBO Max August 30th. That's just 45 days after. That's a big deal because the exclusivity window for theaters used to be 90 days. They're slashing that in half. I'm excited by that. I don't know if that's really going to change whether or not I see a movie in theaters because 45 days still is a very long time. But for some movies, it might. Some movies I'm like on the fence about seeing. I think for the average moviegoer, waiting that long is nothing. But we enjoy being in the discourse of, you know, stuff as it gets released. So it's kind of like twisting the hand for people like that. Mm hmm. I wanted to talk about the trend of gritty reboots and remakes. Um, I, I was specifically inspired to bring this up because for anybody that missed it, the CW is bringing the Powerpuff Girls back. Uh, this is going to be a live action series that uh, is very much unlike the cartoon of your childhood. Um, instead, it's actually going to pick back up with the Powerpuff Girls um, in their early 20s. And they're kind of like all washed up and grappling with the trauma of losing out on their childhoods because they spent that fighting crime and saving the world instead of actually like being kids and stuff. And so Aww. they're all in like various stages of life and completely split up. And then they come back together and, and try and figure out if they can still be the superhero trio <laughs> that can save the world. <laughs> so so that's what's coming down the pipeline at the CW. But the CW is like no stranger to doing these kinds of remakes of 
you know, titles that we grew up with as kids that were definitely not as dark. They have the Nancy Drew series, which again is much grittier than the book series that is geared towards children. The Hardy Boys is also coming down the pipeline as well. So it's going to be along a similar vein. And then of course, uh, Archie Comics has really gotten an update over there and it's a lot darker and a lot sexier (laughs) because of, you know, Riverdale and also Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which has been rebooted into Chilling Adventure of Sabrina, although that was also based on a comic that was a little bit darker than the sitcom. But I think most people have, you know, Melissa Joan Hart's version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch in their minds when they think about um, that entity in comparison to what Netflix has put out. Um, and then Netflix also has The Wings Club, which started as a much more wholesome, um, I believe, graphic novel as well. And it's a lot grittier. Um, in in their live action format of the series. This is not anything new, but but I feel like they're just coming more and more. And I wanted to know how you guys feel about the idea of some of these childhood classics that we grew up with being turned into something that's a lot more adult. Like, are you guys into this idea at all? Does it pique your interest when you hear about these shows being greenlit? I get why they're doing it. I think it gets attention on these projects like ooh it's not just a street reboot it's grittier it doesn't appeal to me personally unless i mean it's all about the story i don't care if it's gritty or not if it's a good story if it has good reviews i'll go and see it i feel like in terms of rebooting these children's shows <laughs> if they're making them gritty reboots it's kind of like reflecting on our own lives like everything is happy and rosy in our childhoods and then we grow up and (laughs) we're washed up and we're grappling with the trauma of our lives so it's like relatable in that oh wow even the powerpuff girls (laughs) have a hard time need therapy (laughs) yeah need therapy and are need to having a hard time paying their student loans and can't buy a house stuff like that so like (laughs) maybe they make these gritty because that means we're going to be able to relate to them on a personal level and for children's shows you watch these as kids you grow up you're no longer interested in powerpuff girls as you watched them in when you were 12 years old you want to you want to see a story that really appeals to you an adult yeah I I really like the take that adulthood is just a gritty reboot of all of our childhood. (laughs) Like, we're still here, but damn, things suck now. Everything's so dark. Yeah, I'm definitely here for the gritty reboots when they make sense. Like, I think about the Dark Knight trilogy, for example, like, that made sense. Powerpuff Girls... It feels like a stretch. And I say this as somebody who was a huge Powerpuff Girls fan as a child. As a matter of fact, me and my two closest friends at the time, we like pretended that we were the Powerpuff Girls. I was Bubbles. And yeah, like I was a big fan as a kid, but I don't know if I need this. (laughs) Okay, well, that's a really interesting (laughs) revelation. I didn't know that you were so into the Powerpuff Girls. Oh, yeah, I was. So like, okay, but so if this say like the Powerpuff Girls was your comfort show. And to this day, if you were, you know, a little stressed out, you're like, let me just go revisit some old Powerpuff Girls, Girls episodes. Do you feel like you those two entities can exist on their own? Or would you just prefer that like they stay separate? That's a really good question. Um, it's not really something that I have revisited as an adult. Um, so I, I, I kind of like looking back on the childhood nostalgia of it. 
especially that we were like we were super into it and we like called each other by the powerpuff girls names <laughs> hey bubbles um, <laughs> I uh, I got in trouble one time because I literally wrote bubbles in the name line for a homework assignment that I turned oh in. Oh my gosh. My teacher was like, who the fuck is bubbles? <laughs> I mean, he didn't say who the fuck is and bubbles. And you got in trouble for that? Was it a I'm mistake saying. or did you do it on purpose? Uh, I mean, was it a mistake? I don't know. I I chose to write bubbles. Yeah, but maybe you just weren't my thinking <laughs> and you decided to, you know, you always call yourself bubbles. Your friends call you bubbles. So you wrote down bubbles. I really enjoy that you're giving me an out here, Andrew. <laughs> I don't remember what I was thinking okay. when I did that. Um, but yeah, no, definitely leaving that piece of nostalgia in the past. I'm OK with. Will they age up the title of the show, too? Like, will they call it the Powerpuff Girls or will they just call it like the girls? The squad. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's still going to be called the Powerpuff Girls, but you never know. I mean, like, for example, Riverdale is based off of the Archie comics, but it's not called Archie comics. Mm-hmm. The Powerpuff Women. Mm, the Powerpuff Young Adults. The Powerpuff <laughs> Girls post-puberty. <laughs> is there is there any, oh. like like, movie or TV show or... Um, you know, like book series that you guys would actually like to see rebooted into something that's a lot darker and grittier than, Ooh. you know, what already exists. I haven't thought about this. SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> I used to love <laughs> that show. That's already kind of deep. Yeah, like, it is. SpongeBob kind of gets deep. There's some adult humor. <laughs> I think the obvious choice for me is Harry Potter. Yeah. That already like lends itself to being a lot darker than than what we got, huh? Can you make it any darker? Yes. Like yeah, you could yeah. talk about I the mean, childhood the reason... trauma of Harry living in a cupboard for all yeah, of his years. Like I, I feel like when we make fun of the cast of the Harry Potter movies, being like it's much darker this time, much darker. Like we're making fun of it because it's like they had opportunities to take things to a really dark place, and there are sometimes where the Harry Potter movies felt kind of sanitized. Okay. Um. I thought you were so, talking yeah. about like the like, core story, like if J.K. Rowling made a grittier Harry Potter. No, I think that you could do a telling of that story probably for television would lend itself best to this kind of thing. But you could I think you could really make that story very dark and gritty. How about you, Pam? I couldn't really think of anything. But at the same time, I, I you know, I lost the track of who said this. Uh, in the discord but i noticed that somebody mentioned that they're willing to give these things a shot even if it's not anything that they personally would have thought that they wanted in their lives so i i feel like i'm probably more inclined to tune into this stuff just out of curiosity than either mm-hmm. of you two would be um, yeah. so it's kind of hard for me to think of something specifically but i do like what blue smith just wrote which was that uh she said not necessarily gritty but i really wanted the reboot of the millennial lizzie mcguire and i agree i feel like that one's gonna sting for a while because they were kind of hoping to you know, to give us a Lizzie McGuire that was really going through some shit and Disney said no. So yeah, that story is crazy to me still. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's so Disney. We've got a few more topics to touch on today, but first it's time for a word from this week's sponsor, Stamps.com. Stamps.com has saved businesses, including my own, thousands of hours and tons of money. Not to mention, it's the most convenient way to mail things. With Stamps.com, you get the services of the post office and UPS all in one place, and all on your computer, plus big discounts on mailing and shipping rates. 
Whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller shipping out orders, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to input a bit of info about the package, then print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It is that simple. Plus, your recipient will receive a tracking number automatically emailed to them, so you don't need to go through the hassle of letting someone know you put something in the mail and then carefully typing in a tracking number. Don't get any numbers wrong because then they're going to have the wrong info and they're going to get stressed about their package. You don't have to deal with that. Thanks to Stamps.com, they will mail that all to the recipient automatically. And all this convenience comes with discounts. With Stamps.com, you get discounts of up to 40% off post office rates and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There is no risk. And with our promo code MILL, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in M-I-L-L. That's Stamps.com, promo code M-I-L-L. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. All right. Well, as promised on last week's episode, we're going to be speaking to one of our listeners named Michelle here in a few moments. Michelle is somebody who uh, wrote into the show requesting coverage of the increase in hate crimes against the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Um, So we'll be having her on in a moment. But first... I just want to share like a quick mini story, potentially like Laura's Rage of the Week type thing. <gasps> so do you guys remember me telling you about Delta 8 on yes. the show? Yeah, yeah. I keep meaning to try it. Yeah. So it is uh, a legal alternative to marijuana. And I recently found out that the reason it's legal is because of the 2018 Farmer Bill. That bill, the TLDR of it, is that it legalized hemp on a federal level, and Delta 8 is a byproduct of hemp. Now, I don't think that anybody at the time thought that hemp byproducts could be used to achieve psychoactive effects similar to marijuana, but uh, pot chemists are pretty amazing. (laughs) They managed to find a way to uh, get a similar effect from Delta 8 as you would get from Delta 9, otherwise known as the regular THC and marijuana that we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Well, in the last couple of weeks, all of our favorite vape shops in the Atlanta area have pulled this stuff off their shelves because one of them, at least one of them, got raided (gasps) and had a U.S. Marshal's car parked outside of it for an entire day. And it sounds like that there may be some changes to specifically Georgia legislation around legal limits of THC. And all of these shops are preemptively pulling product off their shelves to send it out for testing to make sure that it's all still legal, depending on these updates that may come out of the state legislature. I was also reading that similar things are happening in South Carolina. I don't know what's going on in other states. Um, I know I definitely heard from a couple of listeners who were like, hey, didn't know this existed. Totally found it here. Thanks for the heads up. Um, So just be careful because it sounds like this was kind of a a loophole event that the DEA didn't see coming. And now (laughs) 
it sounds like some states are starting to pump the brakes a little bit. Mm. Um, so just be careful. Yeah. Keep yourself posted. We're going to post uh, an article in the New York. We're going to share an article from the New York Times about the 2018 Farmer Bill with more information about all of this in the show notes. But yeah, it's been a weird couple of weeks. I, I'm sorry <laughs> that you're going through this. I saw in this New York Times article that, and you may have mentioned this a few months ago, so I apologize, but Delta 8 has the same effects of getting high, stress release, without the same anxiety producing high that some can experience with THC. That's my problem. I get anxious when I smoke. And I know you've said there's a certain type of weed. I don't smoke. What is is it called? Uh, Well, you would probably prefer indica strains. Indica. Yeah, those are more chill. But I'm too afraid to try. So maybe Delta 8, you know, maybe I'll give it a shot since it doesn't produce that anxiety. Yeah, it is more of a mellow high. It's more of a body high and less of like a like negative thoughts type high. So definitely worth trying if it's still legal where you are, um, but definitely could vary state to state. Got it. Okay. All right. And as promised, we are now joined by Michelle. Michelle is one of our awesome listeners. She reached out to us within the last few weeks asking that we cover the increase in hate crimes against the AAPI community. And she's here with us right now. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Hi, Michelle. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. So my name is Michelle, and I am a member of the AAPI community who was born and raised in the beautiful city of Vancouver, Canada. And I'm of Taiwanese, Chinese, and Japanese descent. Um, I grew up thinking I was a millennial, but realized this past year that I'm actually Gen Z. So I guess I'm a Get millennial. Zillennial. <laughs> I feel like I'm like in the middle, so I don't really know what I am. But I, I like millennial. Can- Yeah, I can relate to both generations a little bit. And I'm currently doing my master's degree at an American university from home. And I think I'll be doing my whole master's degree from home in light of recent events. So Mm. I'll see how that goes. Okay. I just want to preface my time on the show here by saying that I'm clearly of East Asian descent. And obviously the Asian American experience is extremely diverse. So I can only speak from my own experiences, but hopefully what I say on the show will be representative of the Asian American listeners of the show. So as I said, you reached out a few weeks ago requesting requesting coverage of the increase in these kinds of hate crimes. Can you reflect on the last year as a member of the AAPI community? Yeah, for sure. So I think um, in light of everything that's happened over the past two weeks, it feels like the first time that AAPI issues are being taken seriously Um, rather than just things I have to contend with or just suppress to be accepted in North American society. And I think it's been a really great two weeks as it's been empowering to see that it's kind of a watershed moment or this kind of political awakening for Asian Americans. Um, Because often in political polls, Asian Americans are actually considered to be statistically insignificant for some reason. And also just growing up, I've never really seen myself represented in mainstream American entertainment in both films and music. And I guess if I were just to reflect on the whole past year, it kind of feels like whiplash because growing up in the media and in politics, I felt so invisible. And to suddenly feel this hyper visible, it's been kind of a jarring and new traumatic experience. 
Um, and what's especially insulting is um, that Asians as a whole are really family-oriented people. And it's really common to have three generations in one family. And we also have a lot of pride in, um, in our um, culture and our long history as well. And in addition to that, um, a lot of Asian countries historically have had such, Amer such respect for America as well. Um, for example, in Mandarin, the word for America is meiko, which means the blank land or blank country. So I just wanted to ask the host um, what you think that might mean. So fill in the blank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Promised. Promised land. Huh. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You could just be whatever you want, right? If you're thinking about it optimistically. Like the free land or something. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's like the opposite of which is that we don't subscribe to one culture. And so that is not really looked up upon. Mm -hmm. I was thinking something along the lines of the promised land as well. Well, it's actually the beautiful country. Um, and it's mm. so sad to see all of these assaults happening day by day to um, Asian Americans. Yeah, And I guess like just reading through the obituaries that came out two Fridays ago, what really broke me was reading these stories of the victims and they were just like people I know in my own life, like aunties or grandmas or my mom who would do essentially everything and anything to provide for their kids. Yeah, uh, it has to have been very disorienting. Yeah, as I've mentioned um, before, it's, a, it's been a strange experience just feeling invisible and to all of a sudden see these assaults every day on the news. Do you feel safe right now? Well, currently, I've decided with my parents and my grad school advisor that I won't be going to America for my next semester, at least. Mm, so I'll I'm just sorry. Yeah, stick it out and see how it goes. Yeah, I can completely understand needing to feel like you have to make a choice to protect yourself, right? Yeah, for sure. But I have you guys to listen to all the time. So you guys Aww. can keep me company. Aww, that's really nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have some examples of coded language and racial microaggressions that you would like to raise awareness of. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, for sure. So I think hearing some microaggressions over and over in my life is almost more hurtful than um, hearing some random racial slur on the street. And one of the most common ones I've heard all throughout my life is the infamous phrase, where are you from? Um, and to that, I always respond, Canada or Vancouver. And to that, some people follow up with a question, no, but where are you really from? Um, and hearing that time and time again is a little hurtful because it really drives home this perpetual foreigner status that we don't really belong in our own country or like in North American countries because we live different from the majority of the people here. And a better way to phrase this question if you're interested in someone's background is to ask, what is your ethnicity? Because um, by asking that, you can have a way more nuanced conversation about someone's birthplace, background, or heritage. Um, some other coded language that I've heard throughout my life include, you speak really good English. And to that, I always respond like, you too. And then they give me a confused look. <laughs> and I'm like, why would my English not be good? I was born here. Yeah. I've also had some people ask me to speak some Mandarin or Japanese for them, as if it's like the language is like a display for them to observe. Um, I've also had high school teachers complain that certain international students' names are too hard to pronounce, as if 
our names were an inconvenience to them. Um, I oh also wanted to touch <laughs> a little bit about, touch on my experience as an Asian woman and the intersection between race and gender that I face, which played into the Atlanta shootings for sure two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So because of the American sexual imperial- imperialization and this whole history of seeing Asian American women as both these hypersexualized porcelain dolls and at the same time these docile and submissive creatures, um, this creates the perception that we're um, essentially um, of either extreme And personally, I've had a few experiences of yellow fever, and it's kind of surprising how open some white men are with that. Um, So whenever white men ask me out, I have to always be a little bit suspicious and wary um, just to make sure that they're not into the idea of me that um, is portrayed in film and media, but Mm. rather that he wants to get to genuinely know me for me. Um, And lastly, I just have this quick story. Um, Right before everything shut down in the pandemic, I flew to New Haven from Toronto for a grad school interview and audition. And I was in the U.S. terminal and I really, really had to sneeze really badly. And I was like, oh, don't do it because like someone's going to think I'm from China. And then I had to sneeze. So I did it. And then everyone dispersed from me instantly. So yeah, that mm. felt great. Gosh. Um, I just wanted to ask the panel, like, have you heard of any additional microaggressions towards any Asian American kids in school or in the workplace? I grew up in a very white um, city and also in a very white county. So even though we like to believe that we're very diverse, I think that um, a lot of kids subscribe to stereotypes of minorities. So one thing that I always heard tossed around with regard to um, the Asian Americans that I went to school with was anytime they did well, people would say, oh, but you're Asian, Mm -hmm. as though like that was supposed to define why this person did so well. So it wasn't really that they did well based on their own merit or that they had studied really hard. It was literally just like, of course, you did well on your math test or your science test or your English test because you're Asian. Um, and I think that that's probably a common misconception that all Asians are really good in school. Yeah, exactly. And it just feeds into this whole model minority myth. And it adds a lot of pressure for Asian American kids, for sure. Mm. Yeah, really echoing Pam's sentiment. I think that is probably the most prevalent um, version that I've seen just throughout school, like even when I was in grad school, mm-hmm. um, a large portion of the students in my program were international students, most of whom were from Asia. And the number of times I heard people attempting to say something very well-meaning mm-hmm. that came out as that sort of like well, they're just naturally smarter (laughs) Um, type stereotype was pretty shocking to me. And and those things are ultimately one of the reasons why I left academia Mm. was because there is such a propensity to try and box people in that way and teach you what you can expect about a person before you even know them. Yeah, exactly. And it pins any Asian American's accomplishment on their whole race rather than their individual hard work and merit as well. Exactly. We've been able to share a number of resources with our audience, thanks to you. Um, 
But are there any others that you would like to amplify today? Um, I think the most important thing one can do during this difficult time is just to really educate yourself about Asian American history, because as Laura and Andrew mentioned three weeks ago, so much of our American Asian, I mean, Asian American history has been erased by erased from American textbooks, essentially, um, and discredits all of the hard work that Asians, um, including Chinese and Japanese, did on the Transcontinental Railroad and the CN Railroad. Um, and with a lot of other projects to build and bridge America together. So one really great resource I would recommend is PBS's documentary called Asian Americans. And it's been made free in light of everything that's been going on. And it includes a lot of great um, historical stories like the Canadian Exclusion Act of 1882, the Page Act and the Japanese internment after Pearl Harbor that Pam brought up a few weeks ago as well, as well as the model minority myth, which is essentially, um, if you haven't heard of this term before, it's a performative tool used by predominantly white institutions to pit minorities against one another. And it um, creates a lot of discord among minorities and overall hurts everybody. Mm. Um, the second resource I would recommend is to sign up for a bystander intervention course. And this would be really great because it's just under an hour long. And then it really teaches you how to deal with situations. If you see any Asian American hate incidents or assault on the street, and it teaches you how to help out somebody in need in a safe way. And with everything that's been happening, I've seen so many social media posts and news stories of Asian Americans being attacked and while they're like bloodied or unconscious on the ground, nobody really goes to help them. And it's really heartbreaking to see that time and time again. So um, please sign up for this course if you can. And I think this will help everybody a lot. And um, lastly, I would really encourage everybody to please support Asian entertainment and small businesses because over the past year and more, Asian businesses have really been crippled by this double whammy of both COVID and xenophobia. So I'd really encourage people to go out and order some Chinese takeout or some sushi and ramen or boba because it's all really delicious and hopefully it's a win-win for everybody. Um, and I just wanted to end my time here on a positive note and to say that I'm really proud to be Asian American because not only did I grow up um, multilingual, but I also have this broadened perspective of the world that I wouldn't have had if my parents did not immigrate to Canada in the 80s. Darn right. right. All well said. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today, Michelle. And thank you so much for helping to open our eyes and helping us prepare to be able to have the conversations we've had over the last couple of weeks. And most importantly, thank you for using your voice. <laughs> yeah. And thank you for thank being you willing much. to come on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. We've got a to-do list now. I'm, I'm very okay, excited awesome. to pr- pursue it. <laughs> Starting with eating Chinese food. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, just go order some takeout. (laughs) Don't have to tell me twice. Yeah, honestly, it's also really safe because Asian Americans or like Asians in general have this habit of masking up whenever they're sick out of consideration for others. So hopefully that's something like everybody around the world can adopt. Wow. People who think about others. That's so nice. (laughs) And I was going to say, too, that like my local Asian market, the whole pandemic has never been out of 
like anything that I've needed. I know that a lot of like the like the larger markets have always been out of like noodles or lentils or rice or anything like that. But like the Asian market's always really well stocked and they're so nice and really mm-hmm. helpful. So I really enjoy uh, popping in there to shop for some extra essentials yeah. whenever mm-hmm. I can. All right. Thanks again, Michelle. All right. Thank you. Have a great Thanks. rest have of the show. Night. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Have a great night. Bye. She was perfect. I know. She was so good. She And you can see why when she reached out requesting coverage of this on the show, um, her the information she provided was so detailed and well-researched, and you could really see that in the points that she brought to the show today. Um, yeah. So we're just so, so thankful for Michelle and really all of our listeners who reach out um, yeah. with well-researched information on a topic that they're interested in hearing more about. Uh, so really quickly, I was uh, perusing on Vice, and they had a pretty funny tip for people that want an excuse to keep their cameras turned off during Zoom meetings and lectures, except for on the show, because obviously we're always happy to have our cameras This is on. a Patreon benefit. We have to pollute yeah, Earth. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so they were basically saying that you could tell your bosses that you're trying to dec- decrease your carbon footprint. Because apparently uh, some science researchers have found that one hour of video conferencing emits about 150 to 1,000 grams of carbon dioxide. It requires 2 to 12 liters of water to generate and demands a land area about the size of an iPad mini. Uh, So for a little bit of context, it's not very much because uh, a gallon of gasoline emits about 8,887 grams of carbon dioxide. But, you know, I think they're hoping that over time that this is big enough that you could use it as an excuse if you feel like you want to turn your camera off for a little bit during these mandatory Zoom meetings that we've all been having over the course of the past few years. Uh, the past year. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to save some water. The lakes are (laughs) looking low around here. So researchers at Purdue, Yale, and MIT say that leaving your camera off during a web call can reduce these footprints by about 96%, but obviously you're still emitting some kind of carbon dioxide whenever you log on to the internet. And I I think that Andrew had another point to make here with regards to this. I'm glad you included this because people just don't think about what doing things online, how that impacts the environment. To your point about video calls, but also even doing a Google search takes energy. And when 40,000 searches are happening every second, that takes a lot of power. It's not just our screen being lit up. It's calling the server and having the server do something. And that's just something you don't think about. You you think tech and the internet, it's like this infinite resource where we can use it as much as we want and it has no effect on anything. Well, actually, it does. It eats up a lot of power. I know Apple and Google, they try to offset their uh, energy usage. And that's amazing. But you just have to remember, do you have to search for that pudding recipe right now? Why not, you know, save a little water and just come up with a pudding recipe yourself? Who am I kidding? I'm not going to get anybody to stop <laughs> I was doing gonna Google say, searches. <laughs> Mr. Internet, Andrew. Who <laughs> <laughs> like hypable thrives off of internet searches. Oh, man. You're going to be like, stay on the internet, please. Do some more Google searching. Right. Make sure you include right. hypable at the end of your Google search. <laughs> it's such a good point that you bring up because I, I contribute monthly to Project Ren, which I know we've talked about on the show before. It's a way that you can make a monthly donation to offset your carbon emissions. But it makes me wonder how accurate those donations are. Like, I don't recall when I was doing my CO2 emissions calculator 
uh, last year just to like update it. I don't remember it asking about my internet usage. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was trying to remember if it did or not either, because in putting these very brief talking points together, I was remembering that you had a calculator carbon mm-hmm. footprint. Yeah, I don't think it includes that at all. No, I don't. I think it's probably just to make Americans feel better about being shitty to the environment. As with better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) they're like, hey, make a donation and feel better about your carbon footprint. But your carbon footprint is still there. Right. Exactly. And a little positive news to wrap up the show. There is a new report on the effectiveness of Moderna and Pfizer vaccinations. They are both 90% effective. They, they, so we finally have real world data. You know, we're, we're out of the test zone now. We now know how effective these vaccines actually are out in the real world. Moderna and Pfizer are both 90% effective against infections by two weeks after your second shot. They are 80% effective by two weeks after your first shot. So that's good to hear. In terms of getting asymptomatic infections and transmitting the virus to others, the CDC said that since infections were so rare, transmission is likely rare as well. That's great news. Everybody was worried. You know, let's say I have the vaccine, but grandma doesn't yet. Do I stand a chance of infecting grandma? Yes, but it's small. And if everybody's vaccinated, the chances go way, way down. So that's good news. We also learned that the vaccines are so far effective against variants of COVID. That was a big concern as well. So overall, a very good report that came out of the CDC on Monday morning. I think everybody should sleep better tonight knowing that these vaccines are proving very effective out in the real world. The director of the CDC did also put out a note being like, things are looking really good. I don't know if you guys saw this interview that she did. Um, but she was like, things are looking really good. We're almost there. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. But we do need to hang on. Um, yes. We need to hang and on a little longer. cases have been rising. That's cases been one are, of the concerns. Yeah. Cases are rising. Infections are rising. Deaths are also rising. So, yeah, this is really, really good news. And we should be cautiously optimistic. But we also have to be prepared that the distancing guidelines and the hygienic guidelines. We need to stick with them uh, for a while longer. The hygienic ones you should just implement (laughs) into your normal life. I haven't been sick in over a year. You know, this rise in cases, it's probably these assholes who go and party during St. Patrick's Day. You know, we saw this steep decline yep. and people are letting yeah, their guard down. That did already happen, didn't it? Yeah. Like, see, I have like no concept of holidays anymore because this is like our second go around with you like, don't leave the well, house. I haven't been celebrating. You just see your I back, know. your your neighbor sunbathing nude. That's like Believe the extent me, of I, your I excitement. I have enough drama just with the, <laughs> with the neighbor and his dumb dog. <laughs> anyway, yes, people are, are letting their guard down, but I also think it's because of St. Patrick's Day. We saw these huge spikes around the holidays, then plummeted. The daily cases plummeted after the new year, and now climbing back again as people start to congregate again. So keep the faith, people. Yep, stay the course. Okay, time for recommendations. Uh, I would like to recommend a show on Netflix called Lupin. It's <gasps> Harry Potter spinoff. <laughs> no, I wish. Um, it is. Uh, it basically follows a character who has built his entire persona around the literary character Arsene Lupin, the gentleman thief, and it is so good. I just, I don't even want to spoil anything for anybody. It's witty and 
kind of like a crime drama espionage type vibe. So much fun. Um, cast is great. And uh, yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. It's only six episodes, so it's not too big of a nice. uh, thing to take on. I want to do one of these pre-recommendations where I recommend something before having actually used it or played it myself. There's a new co-op game out called It Takes Two. I had read about this a little bit. The reviews are now are now out because the game is out. It has a very high rating on Metacritic, and that's that's how I know if a game is truly good or not. Um, this is exclusively a co-op game where you work together with somebody to uh, try and beat different challenges. And I hear it's very weird. I hear it's very innovative and I hear it's very unique. So if you like co-op games as I do, I love overcooked, uh, check out it takes two. Um, and then in light of Michelle's uh, contribution to today's show, which I really appreciated, I wanted to recommend this video that got uploaded to the try guys channel on YouTube called, we need to talk about Asian hate. It's uh, actually more of a documentary. So way different than what they normally do. Uh, but one of the members, Eugene put this together and it's about 70 minutes long and it gives some really nice historical context that helps viewers understand where this anti-Asian um, sentiment kind of stems from. And he's got a lot of great uh, guest interviews that make features in the documentary. So something else to add to your list as well, in addition to all of the resources that Michelle recommended earlier on in the show. Okay. Perfect. Today in After Dark, I have a complaint to file about my mother and many other people in my family. And what else are we doing, Laura? Um, So I have to give all the credit to Pam for this idea. Um, she found a quiz that we're going to take together that will allow us to see if we can tell the difference between AI generated pictures and content and actual pictures and content. And uh, we have a couple of tips that we're going to be able to give you for learning to tell the difference between the two. And then I also have a surprise for everybody. <laughs> Oh my a god. Surprise. I saw that note just a minute ago. It just says Laura's surprise. Oh, oh god. my god. What is it gonna be, Pam? She's not pregnant. I, she doesn't want a kid. You know, I have no idea, but I like, do we have enough time to do all this in after dark? <laughs> I'll keep my story about my mom short-ish. <laughs> well, maybe we don't have to take the full quiz. <laughs> Laura's surprise is that she sunbathes nude, I think. That'd be a good surprise. Yeah. I'm Pam's neighbor. <laughs> I, that's my surprise, Pam. I'm your neighbor. <laughs> surprise, oh, <no>. bitch. <laughs> and Canella hates you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, that'll all be available. It sounds like a memorable After Dark. Patreon.com slash millennial. Thank you to everybody who supports us. It truly keeps the show going and keeps us inspired. A couple other reminders. Please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Millennial. You can contact us by writing directly to millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form on millennialshow.com. We also have the confessional there as well. And follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.